0: Hello there, I'm Pastor John. Thank you for joining us today. There are a lot of ways to engage here at Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene, but we truly do thank you for listening here. If you haven't heard, we're also on Spotify now with the same great content. For more information about our church, you can check us out on the web at abeaconofhope.org. That's abeaconofhope.org. Please be sure to follow us on Facebook. We're live each Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. And you can find us on Instagram as well.
1: We're uh, concluding today a short series, two-part series, called The Science of Temptation. And it's based on the idea, the biblical idea, that when we are faced with temptation, and we will be, it doesn't come bumbling around at us and bump into us accidentally. Uh, Biblically, there's a strategy, there's a plan, uh, there's a science to temptation, and that's why this series, and this is part two, and you know, as I think about it, there are some sobering concepts that undergird this topic, and I'm going to bring some of those out this morning. It it bears our attention and our serious focus. Uh, Pastor Adrian introduced it last week. He said, there's a lot of thought behind the way you and I are tempted every day. The truth is, if you are not facing temptation today, you will be. And because the temptation we face is planned out and thoughtful, so must our approach to temptation be. In fact, we should be preparing now for the temptation that is coming next. Ultimately, you and I don't always see what hangs in the balance of our choices when facing temptation. As I thought about it, I thought, you know, this this is an intimate topic. There are people, I'm certain, in this room who have been deeply hurt by a failed temptation, a failed response. Uh, You might say you still carry wounds and scars from a bad response to temptation, either your own choice or someone else's choice. There's serious consequences, especially for those of us in Christ as we talk about temptation. And that brings me to the squirrel in our house. Yes, they call me the master of the Segway. Uh, not too long ago, we had a squirrel in our house. Uh, some of you, that might be a normal thing. But in our world, the squirrels live outside the house and stay outside the house. I, I'm, not a, I'm not an animal person. I, I, you can probably tell I'm not an outdoors person. I don't do squirrel management and we had a squirrel in our house and I don't mind the squirrel out there with their you know their puffy cheeks and they're scurrying back and forth but I don't want them in my house eating my food and hogging my TV remote and so I checked with some friends who do know squirrels and they gave us these instructions about the kind of trap you buy and you put food in it and so I went to the hardware store and I got this particular trap I realize that everybody in the room knows more about this than I do. You know what the trap is called. I, I get that. Just bear with me. So we got the trap, and we put some chocolate-covered acai berries in the trap. I guess we were thinking that we want to capture the squirrel, and we also want to have healthy antioxidant levels. <laughs> and so um, the concept worked. The squirrel went into the trap, apparently, the tra- squirrel went into the trap, and ate the berries, but apparently we had the only squirrel in Rockingham County that carries a jeweler's loop and a (laughs) fingernail file because he somehow escaped the trap. And we no longer wanted the squirrel in our house, so we called the guy. If you don't know, there's a guy that does this. He catches things like squirrels. And so I called the guy and told him, and he said, you know, squirrels can be tricky, but we have a system and it works. And indeed, they do. He brought in a, a bunch of heftier traps. You know, they look like professional-grade traps. And apparently, what you want is peanut butter, chocolate chips, and marshmallow. That's what you want in just the right mixture. He, he had a, this guy had a very specific structure for catching these squirrels and put the traps, you know, where the, strategically where a squirrel is apt to go, apparently. And it didn't take long at all. And the guy caught the squirrel, that's what he does for a living. And I said, okay, what happens now to the squirrel? And his response was, well, most people don't really want to know what happens to the squirrel. So I choose to believe that they packed a little baggie full of trail mix, maybe gave him a little sweater, brought him to a lush meadow and ushered him gently out into freedom. That's the choice I'm making, and I won't hear objections to it. The sobering part is this. I think about the process of getting that squirrel, and I think, what if somewhere in a dark, dark, unholy place, there's a guy thinking, you know, that Brian Charette is tricky. He calls himself a child of God. He even preaches sometime in this church, but we have a system for him. I don't like thinking about that, but what if that's the case, and what if in some way I'm the squirrel? This is a serious, this is a serious matter. How I, how you face temptation, and it turns out How we face temptation, how we resist temptation, is an actual psychological thing. 1970, there's an Austrian psychologist working at Stanford named Walter Mischel, and he wanted to test child development by measuring a child's ability to resist temptation through delayed gratification. It's a very simple test that's become famous now. They would put a child in a room and they would give him a cookie or a marshmallow or something like that, and they would say, "You can have the marshmallow now or the cookie now, but if you wait till I come back, if you wait, I'll give you a second marshmallow." So it was this testing of the ability to resist temptation. Maybe look like this. <laughs>
0: I'm going to go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. It smells really good.
1: Alright,
0: so it's up to you. You can have it now or you can wait. Okay? back stay in the chair okay okay
1: And it's interesting, Uh, what the psychologists found, this was a longitudinal study, they followed the kids from 1970 into adulthood. And they found that there was a correlation between a child's ability to resist temptation and the health of their life. The ones who could resist temptation were more likely to graduate from high school, more likely to be employed, were healthier, less divorce. It was really interesting, they were surprised in the findings, so it's a thing this ability to resist temptation. And that's interesting. It's nice when science catches up to biblical truth, and that's cute. Um, But as Pastor Adrian said, that analogy doesn't stretch to us. Because in our truth, in the economy of God, the marshmallow is lethal. The marshmallow wants to kill us. It's different. It's not the same in God's rules. Now, we know that uh, temptation itself is not sin. To be tempted is not to sin. Jesus was tempted. We're going to read about it shortly. Martin Luther said about temptation, I can't stop birds from flying around my head, but I can keep them from making a nest in my hair. And I was thinking, that's probably not the right one for me to use. So I'll go with Billy Sunday who said temptation is the devil looking in your keyhole and sinning is opening the door and inviting him in. So temptation itself is not sin, but the desired end for temptation is sin and the desired end from sin is death. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, Romans eight thirteen. For when sin is mature, it results in death, James 1, 15. For your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who it will destroy, 1 Peter 5, 8. This is sobering. I know, I know, bring the cute kids back. But as Pastor Adrian said, there's a lot at stake. Turn, if you would, to Matthew 4, if you're not already there. Uh, We're going to be in verse 1. If you're in the U version, you click in the lower right, select events, and you'll see our church on the events, and it will give you the scriptures and an outline for the message. Otherwise, if you don't have that, Matthew 4, verse 1. Before the ministry of Jesus even begins in Matthew, he is tempted. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry and the tempter came to him.
0: This stone becomes bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, If God loves you throw yourself down His angels will lift you up in their hands
1: How dare you put God to the test
0: If you will bow down and worship me
1: I will give you the whole world Crucify him!
0: Serve him only.
1: Matthew 4, verse 3. The tempter came to Him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written... Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. As we unpack the temptation account in Matthew 4, I'm going to propose that there are three questions that temptation forces on you. Three questions. Now, this first temptation of bread makes sense because we know often that our appetites are tied into Temptation. We know that. I mean, just look at the first temptation from Pastor Adrian last week. That was fruit. This is bread. We understand that. We are powerfully driven by what we want. And the whole world around us makes us want to want more. So the first temptation forces this question. What do you want more than you want God? If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Well, let me ask. Why not? Why didn't a starving Savior go like this and start eating? Why not? And you know what? We've been there, haven't we? Haven't we been at why not? When faced with temptation, why not? Won't God, surely forgive you? Is this really a sin? Am I hurting anybody? Isn't that what grace is? You know all the why not questions. Why not is the doorway to sinning. That's why it matters here. But what's important isn't the why not. Because there's a bigger question that drives why not. And it's not a what question. It's a who question. It's not a what question it's a who question you tell me why not and I'll ask you who are you that's how this temptation starts it doesn't start with the what it doesn't start with the bread it doesn't start with dangling a meal in front of a starving man it starts with the question of who a deceitful premise a false conditional if you are the son of God you starving, and part Savior, is not going to forget who he is. And he says, there is a truth, and there is one greater and more important than my hunger pangs. There is reality, and it is written. I know who I am, and I want what God wants, and I don't do tricks for the devil. That's why not. Verse 5, the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, there it is again, he said, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You see the plan unfolding? He's ratcheting it up. Now the devil is quoting Scripture. Psalm 91, phase 2. Temptation with its structure and its plan and its science on the attack. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus himself quotes Scripture. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, which also says, You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you. Temptation number two is weird. Temptation number one we get. We're hungry, 40 days, 40 nights, bread. I'm hardly ever tempted to jump off a building. But that's not what this temptation is all about. And Jesus tells us that. Satan may want us to think that's what it's all about, but what it's all about is in what Jesus says, don't test the Lord. Temptation, too, is simply a temptation for a foolish act. Prove yourself, God. Convince me. I doubt This is the temptation to put God on trial in the courtroom of your experiences. To judge Him based on what you see because you don't believe He's trustworthy. That brings us to the second question. Whom do you trust? A couple years back, I was speaking to a group of pastors and at lunchtime, I was with a bunch of them and I asked them, "What, what are the greatest temptation your people face And some of the answers they gave me were the ones you might expect, you know, lust, materialism, selfishness, those kinds of things. I'll never forget, one of them said, the greatest temptation my people face is calendar hoarding. That stuck with me. But the most popular answer was, the greatest temptation my people face is to doubt or to fear. Think about it. The essence of fear is... I have judged you, Lord, and found you lacking. You're not trustworthy. I have tested you, proven you. I've decided I can't trust you, and so I'm afraid. That's maybe the most insidious of the three. Matthew 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give to you, who said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, this is, this is new now. You see the plan. This is something we haven't seen before. Now, the devil is offering Jesus a deal. He didn't go for the first temptation, didn't go for the second one. Now, he's sweetening the pot. If you will bow down and worship me, I'll give you power for your soul. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, there it is again, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. You can have it all, just just give up your soul, place yourself at his feet. Can you imagine, I was thinking, can you imagine what the world would be like if Jesus had succumbed? To any of these temptations, certainly, but to temptation number three, God himself worshiping at the feet of the devil. No matter what you get from this account of Jesus tempting in the wilderness, please be grateful that he did not sin. You are here today because he said something is more important than my immediate needs. You're here today because he declared, I'm the son of God. You're here today because he said it's written. Please be grateful for that. I don't know what the world would be like apart from it. I'm glad I don't have to know. And that's the third question that temptation forces. What will you trade for your soul? All temptation proposes a deal. It's always a lousy deal. So we sit in the church and we think, well, how do I ever, how does that ever sucker me in? I know it's a lousy deal. We know how that works the effects of previous sin, stress, weariness, lack of faith, and in the moment, the deal just looks good. And we almost always realize that it wasn't. So what do you do? I'm, how do you fight this? I'm going to suggest that you have. Everything you need to fight temptation right now in, in the form of what I'll call a three-point shield. A three-point shield. You already have what you need. Number one in the top left, it is written. The Word of God. If you are a smart follower of Jesus, you will love your Bible. You live and breathe on the Word of God. And I know that's old and archaic, maybe not modern, but it will never change. That your survival depends on the word in your heart. Jeremiah even said something weird I found your words and I ate them. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I like to think, it, it helped me to start thinking of the word of God as a weapon a weapon with which i do battle for my life for my family for my friends i like the word dagger i think that's a cool word if you're sometimes if you're watching a basketball game and the game has gone back and forth it's been a tight game and your team is up by 1 and there's you know 18 seconds left and your point guard rises up and hits a contested 3 and the announcer will say that's the dagger that means game's over.
0: I love that.
1: I often think of that when I think of getting into the word, especially in temptation, a dagger in the throat of the enemy. You have the word. The second one in the upper right, I'm going to read that 1 Corinthians text. You have it in front of you, as I mentioned. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Wherever you are tempted, there will be a way out. It's a promise. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. Go there, highlight it, star it, there will be a way out. I have a friend, uh, years ago now, uh, ruined his marriage and his family in an affair. Um, he gave up everything for an affair that didn't even last. Not that that would matter. But I was talking to him and he said, you know, if I go back and think about how I fell, there wasn't just one way of escape. I had multiple ways of escape. In fact, in every phase of this unholy relationship, I could have gotten out of it until, of course, the moment I fell. He said it was like the Lord was trying to force my eyes open, trying to make me see, and with all my might, I was slamming them shut so I could have my lust. There will be a way the third one, Hebrews 4, 14, 16. I want to read that one too. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I hear that throne of grace text a lot. And we're going to end the sermon by entering together into the throne of grace. But I don't often remember it as a response to being tempted. But there it is. He's been tempted in every way. He has been there. So you can be sure he will be there. He knows what life is like. You have what you need. I have what I need. Why? Because God loved me and he provided for me because Jesus endured that temptation and did not sin all so that I could have life. I have what I need. You have what you need for your next temptation you know, we kind of have it backward. We think that resisting temptation is work, that we have to struggle and strive and work to do God's will. But it's really the opposite. We have to struggle. We, if you're in Christ, you have to wrestle against the withholding grace of God to fall to temptation. It's sinning that takes the struggle, not resisting temptation. Well, as I said, I want to end by seeking the Lord together and proclaiming some things. So wherever the worship team is, if you would come up, and I want to close with a story that I really like. I don't know why it's ancient or written in the 1940s, I think, a Ronald Meredith, but I think it's so poignant. He writes, it was a quiet night in early spring. And suddenly, out of the night came the sound of wild geese flying. I ran to the house and breathlessly announced the excitement I felt. What's to compare with wild geese across the moon? It might have ended there, except for the sight of our tame mallards on our pond. They heard the wild call they had once known, the honking out of the night, sent little arrows of prompting deep into their wild yesterdays. Their wings fluttered a feeble response. The urge to fly, to take their place in the sky for which God made them, was sounding in their feathered breasts. But they never raised from the water. The matter had been settled long ago. The corn of the barnyard was too tempting Now their desire to fly only made them uncomfortable. Temptation is always enjoyed at the price of losing the capacity for flight. The Lord knows what your life is like and He knows what you face. And He has been there. And He calls you out, upward, outward follow me, and in those most important moments, call on my name. And we're going to end the sermon this morning doing just that. I invite you to respond to this two-part series on temptation by calling out to the Lord.
0: Thanks again for listening here today. If you enjoyed it and want to engage more, you can subscribe to this podcast through our website, abeaconofhope.org. That's a abeaconofhope.org. Or if you're a Spotify user like me, you can search for us there and subscribe directly there as well. If you happen to be anywhere in the Shenandoah Valley here in Virginia, we'd love for you to join us at 1871 Boyers Road, Rockingham, Virginia. We meet each Sunday morning at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and then again at 11.45 a.m. in Spanish. Celebrate Recovery also meets here each and every Monday night, at 6 p.m. Thanks again, and we look forward to meeting you soon.